we folks in the country often feel frustrated and a little bit isolated from people in the city. And it's a wonderful chance for us today to visit with Eric Curran, who is dwelling in the city and pays a great deal of attention to what's going on in the country. Welcome to Longleaf Breeze, subsistence farmers using three simple principles, approaching but never reaching subsistence. It's got to be fun while we're doing it, and we don't make all misstatements. And now, Lee and Amanda Borden. Thanks, Adrian, and welcome to our podcast of September 26, 2013. We are privileged today to visit with Eric Curran. He is the co-editor of Transition Voice. Their website is transitionvoice.com. I think, honey, you're the one who found this article that Eric had written that seemed very intriguing to us. What he said was, sustainable farming mania is frustrating me. And that really caught our attention because we thought, oh, there's somebody who's willing to look at this in a new way. And sure enough, Eric is looking at it in a new way. Very interesting guy to talk to. And um, we've had a good conversation with him. So here it is. Hi, Eric. Thanks for being with us today. Hi, Lee. Thanks for having me. Hi, Eric. This is Amanda. I guess my first question for you is, what is it you have against sustainable farming? Well, I guess I'm a little jealous. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm here in the city. I'm, I'm in a small town surrounded by a rural area, and we have a lot of sustainable farmers around us, including Joel Salatin, who was uh, featured in, in many documentaries and in uh, Michael Pollan's book, The Omnivore's Dilemma. And we get some of our meat from Joel. We drive out to his farm, and uh, we love it. But at the same time, we feel a little left out. Uh, we feel like about all there is for us to do is, is buy from sustainable farmers and do a little bit of our own gardening, which is, they're both very satisfying activities, but they kind of give us an appetite for more. And we're not really at a stage in our lives where we can pack up and move to a farm yet. We might like to do that someday, but right now we're here in the city and we just like to do more. We want to be part of this exciting movement of sustainable farming, which seems to be changing America uh, for the better. My impression is that you're much more a part of that movement than you let on, Eric. I was impressed, for example, reading about all of the food that you and your family have been able to grow in that community garden right down the road from you. Yeah, it's funny, Lee. You know, sometimes we, uh, we complain that we don't have enough land. You know, we'd like to have 10 or 20 acres that we could really make a difference, really help regenerate the soil and grow healthy food for people. But at the same time, we are blessed to have a, a very large uh, plot in the city, two blocks from us, that we were able to turn into a community garden with the help of a lot of our neighbors and support from so many wonderful people in the city. Uh, and we have been able to grow tomatoes and uh, squash and cabbage. And, and then we even tried some corn this year and I thought it turned out great. Um, but you know, the, now, we, now we find ourselves having the opposite problem. It's actually too much land for us. And when the stuff all needs to be pulled in and harvested, you know, we're just not ready for that. Our, our life cycle we don't have a farmer's life cycle. We sort of work from nine to five and we do a little put puttering around in the garden. And so when the garden becomes more demanding, uh, it's a bit uh, uh, disruptive for us. That's right. I enjoyed reading that in your uh, column, too, that you actually have sometimes have a bumper crop or it's all ripe at the same time. And you feel the desire to be able to preserve that food. But 
as you said, your lifestyle just doesn't permit you to drop everything and say, okay, now we're going to go into canning mode or we're going to spend all day, you know, drying food or freezing it. Um, I can certainly sympathize with that because um, I once too had one of those jobs where, you know, there were other things you had to do and uh, you didn't, you couldn't squeeze that necessarily into your schedule. Um, and I, I kind of perceive that one of your frustrations is that you'd like some easier or maybe quicker, more efficient ways to preserve all that food and deal with it. Is that correct? Yeah, we sure would, Amanda. We, you know, when you get food from the grocery store, you spent money on it. But when you grow food yourself, you've put your own love and your own sweat and your own work into it. And to us, that's just so much more meaningful than, than the money we might have spent on buying something from some, some grocery store. Um, and so, you know, we value the food more. We don't want to waste it more. It breaks my heart to see it, you know, sort of piling up on the kitchen counter and then the fruit flies coming and then getting squishier and squishier. And then two weeks, we have no choice but to <laughs> dump it in the composter, which, you know, hey, that's the circle of life. That's great. But, um, it seems to me like we should be do, doing something more with those tomatoes. Well, I have to admit, even though we do live on a farm, I often ha experience the fruit flies and squishy food that ends up in the compost. So it is a heartbreaker. You're right. But one, we've just tried to learn a few little tricks that um, you mentioned being able to get some tips maybe from farmers or at least some help, um, tricks that maybe enable me to um, do my preservation a little more efficiently. For example, with tomatoes, I found that you can simply take your ripe tomatoes and don't wash them or anything and, and put them all on a baking sheet in the freezer, not touching each other because you don't want them to stick together. They freeze hard as rocks and even overnight and you can just then dump them all in a Ziploc bag and seal that up, stick it back in the freezer and you're ready to make salsa or stew or soup or something like that in the wintertime when you don't mi mind standing over a hot steaming pot. It actually feels kind of good then. And um, it's not, certainly you're not going to get that great fresh tomato consistency, but it's certainly useful and it's quick as it can be. And every bit as good as canned tomatoes, which are in our mind a whole lot more trouble. And, and it's better. It's like you said, I, put, I know now that I put my blood, sweat, and tears into that tomato, and at least I'm using it. That's right. Yeah, that, that's a good tip. We've been thinking that when they come in, we have to peel them and core them and blanch them, and that, that was just too daunting for us. But, uh, you know, I think a, a quick freeze and putting them in bags sounds like a much more doable approach. It is, and then when you get ready to use them, I just run hot water over them, and I don't particularly care for the skins after they've been frozen like that, and so it just peels right off. So hopefully it'll help you. Like I said, I, even though I have time on my hands, supposedly, <laughs> um, I don't like to spend any more time than I have to on preservation. I'd rather be puttering around in the garden. Yeah, I, I hear you, Amanda. And, you know, I, I feel guilty in a way for complaining about the, the little problems that we have in, here in the city because you all out on the farm, we know how hard you work. We visited our friends who are farmers, you know, having to get up at 3 and 4 a.m. and and just uh, carry stuff and dig stuff and plan stuff. And you never know if the, what the weather is going to do. And we, you know, we know that working in our offices is not the same as you out there working in your fields. Uh, so I feel a little guilty complaining about the problems that we have. But I think one thing that we have in common with you is that we're in a state of transition. You know, I, I understand that both of you came from an urban area and, and followed your dream to move out to the farm. And I think a lot of us city folks are also 
uh, thinking of the same thing. But, you know, for now, we're sort of caught between two worlds. We're caught between the world of, of cheap and easy and convenient uh, grocery store food, but feeling like that's not really what we want for our families. We really want wholesome food. We want, and we want a, a part in producing that food. And so we like buying food from farmers. We like growing our own. And then we need that transition that helps us do something with those fresh ingredients. And, and you know, tips like you just gave us for, for preserving the tomatoes are, are very helpful. And I think us city folks could use even more information like that, whether it's from farmers or from somebody else, not just on food preservation, but also on uh, recipes, uh, uh, you know, how to, how to make stuff sort of part, how to make it a habit to cook with, with fresh ingredients more often. You see what I'm saying? Absolutely, and I agree with you. That's, that's something that we should be doing a better job of than we are. I guess I want to respond to a point you made about how hard we work and how miserable our life is. Uh, that may be part of our press, but life on the farm is pretty pleasant. It's a nice way to live, and I commend it to you. Uh, at that point in your life where you feel comfortable making that kind of transition, I think you will enjoy the kind of life you live. And I'll be honest with you, it's been a long time since I got up at 4 o'clock to do any work other than work on my computer. Um, yeah, yeah, that's true. And, you know, we're small-time um, subsistence farmers. We're just um, not trying to make a profit off our farm. But I do hear what you're saying about the people who are trying to make a profit um, and the, the vagaries of nature and the market and, you know, all the, all the issues that they have to struggle with that we don't. Um, but it Good is point. a pretty nice life. And, and I wanted to get to uh, your concern that you just expressed about recipes being easier and all. That's another thing. Um, Lee and I kind of prefer simple cooking anyway. I don't do, we don't do a lot of casseroles and you know, intense food preparation. And I find that the, the flavor of a fresh vegetable right off the vine is so, of course, we know it's more nutritious, but it's just an intense um, flavor that I don't think even requires a whole lot of extra spices or, and I grow my own herbs too and my own garlic. So, you know, it's just, yeah, I think we're all into um, trying to help you find and help us find simple recipes. And I bet you're way ahead of us on this, Eric. What we've learned is that there are sort of two ways to approach preparing food. The first way is pull out a recipe, figure out what you want to fix, go to the grocery store, get the ingredients for it and make that recipe. And then there's the way that we find ourselves doing it, which is we have some peppers, we have some okra, we have some squash. What will we do with them? And then we basically just end up, you know, rustling them up in a pan or putting them in the sun oven, and we're done. We, we don't try to do a lot of seasoning for what it's worth. That makes a lot of sense. It's probably easier to work with the ingredients you have on hand rather than to have to plan something out and then try and put everything together. I also wonder, too, if maybe having sort of a half dozen or, or a dozen meals that you cook on a regular basis, you know, Tuesday night is pot roast night, if having sort of a schedule would also make things easier. It would be easier as long as you could depend on having pot roast on Tuesday night. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, and I have to admit, I'm, uh, that's an, an idea I think Barbara Kingsolver and Animal Vegetable Miracle, actually, they, like Friday night was pizza night for her family, and this, she, as she mentioned in the book, and, and they did completely from scratch homemade pizzas and sounded great. So I think there is something to be said for that. But another thing I, that just occurred to me, another shortcut that we've taken that deals with when your, your bounty all comes in at one time, we have taken to making a lot of soups or stews we'll just take whatever as barbara kingsolver says whatever's lovely and in season out in the garden and whatever vegetables and hopefully they go together well we try to make them go together well put it with some stock either vegetable if you're a vegetarian or chicken stock and then we we freeze those in quart containers and label them and uh, then we have them all winter uh yeah my wife has been doing a bit of that we did some of that last year and uh, she, she put up some chili and some uh, borscht using uh, beets we had grown. And uh, it's really nice to have it the, the next spring or, or even you know, after the summer is over and the, the nights start to get cool as they are now. Uh, there's nothing like a warm soup and uh, a piece of homemade uh, fresh bread. When you talk to your other friends in the city, Eric, what are they describing as the reason that they are growing their own food? You know, part of it is health. They want what people talk about as clean food. They want food that they know how it was grown. They know what the soil was like. They know what chemicals they used or didn't use. Most of my friends tend to be organic. Um, but I think also they want uh, to feel like they're doing something meaningful. Uh, it, maybe it's a hobby. Maybe it's something they'd like to turn into a business or even go back to the land at some point. But most of my friends really care about the state of the world. A lot of them are environmentalists. A lot of them are people who are concerned about the economy. And they feel like a lot of the solutions that are talked about in America are just too big. It's things that have to be done in Washington or somewhere else. And a lot of my friends who are into growing stuff feel like that's a solution that can happen right in your own backyard or right in your community that anybody can be part of. You don't need to get something passed in Congress or you don't need to do a big public campaign. You can just start growing stuff and feeding your family better and maybe even uh, trading and, and maybe even selling a little bit of it. I even know people who've started small businesses that have turned into larger businesses of creating preserves or pickles, for example. And so I think for the folks I know, it's it's more than just giving your family healthier food. It's a way to try to make a difference and, and to try to make things better. One thing I'd like to be sure and ask you before we get away, which is if you've thought of anything other than maybe the things we've talked about today um, that are ways that farmers or those of us who live out in the country and have the luxury of growing these foods and lots of space and <clears throat> open schedule, what can we do to help you and your friends who live in the city? You know, I guess we'd like to have more contact with farmers. Um, and, and I understand living outside the city is a challenge. You know, we, we'd like to come out to farms more. Uh, and it, if farmers could hold open house days and work with groups in the city to publicize those. I know a lot of farmers have CSAs and they do that anyway. We happen to belong to a raw milk share and the, the dairy farmers who do that uh, do hold an open house, and they also hold events in town. Uh, we had a milk party for our friends. Uh, uh, a dozen or so folks came by to try uh, the products, and I think they signed up some new members. 
But we like those sort of things, those kind of events. Um, and then at those events, it's nice to have some, you know, some short talks, some demonstrations, uh, maybe some handouts uh, that we could take back with us to the city. And then it's also helpful to stay in touch by social media through Facebook. Uh, maybe uh, I know some farmers who do a blog uh, that help keep their customers in touch uh, with what's happening on the farm, with what's coming up, what sort of uh, products can they expect in the coming weeks. And then maybe the occasional recipe and, and frankly, just some cheerleading, just some, uh, you know, why is this important, what you're doing, uh, what the farmers are doing, what the consumers are doing in eating local food. Why is why does this matter? Why is this something we should spend extra effort and extra time on? So I think almost, you know, that we can form a, com uh, a community, us city foodies with the rural farmers, uh, that we can start to support each other financially uh, intellectually, uh, and even spiritually. Well, I agree with you on that, and I don't know of a single farmer who's doing a good job growing healthy food who wouldn't be delighted to welcome potential customers to come and see what the farmer's doing and how they're raising their food and so forth. Uh, if, if they're not inviting you to their farm, it's probably because they view themselves as being too busy, not because they're afraid of what you might see. Now that's not true of large industrial farmers. Sometimes they are a little reluctant to let us see what they're doing, but uh, the people that you and I want to encourage, they want you to see what they're doing and they want you to get your boots dirty coming to see them. And I wonder if there might be a role for extension, uh, extension and also um, master gardener groups in this to help make those connections because a lot of times you have that interface occurring within those kinds of groups uh, you know every state has an ex extension service of some kind so um, I know that happens in our county Elmore County we have that interface yeah I think uh, and, and maybe some you know churches and other groups in the city uh, you know could also work with extension or or whoever uh, to help make uh, more of these connections between uh, farmers and, and consumers happen. A lot of my friends are big readers of Wendell Berry. And, you know, I, I don't know if you all are familiar with Wendell Berry, but he Very is, much so. you know, calls himself an agrarian philosopher. He's a poet. He writes a lot of essays. And he's all about how food is much more than just about something you put in your mouth or you put in your stomach how it's all about regenerating rural communities and how a healthy country needs healthy rural communities. It can't just be a place of cities and huge industrial farms. It also needs to be a place of small towns, small cities that rely on uh, a vibrant uh, collection of family farms that are in the area to, to support those small towns and small cities, which in turn have a good relationship with the big cities. So I think a lot of my friends who live in, in, in big cities and, and even medium-sized cities feel like, uh, you know, we want to have more of a connection with the rural areas and we want to do what we can. If it's just spending money, that's, that's, that's a start, but we'd like to do more to help rural America thrive. I'm going, I do this with trepidation because I'm not quite sure how it's going to turn out, but I want to burrow in on a point you made a few moments ago about the spiritual impact of growing your own food and interfacing with farmers and so forth. Take a moment and react to that a little bit more, Eric. 
Yeah, sure. So, you know, of course I could go into organized religion, but I realize people have different religions. I know Wendell Berry tends to come at it from a Christian perspective, but I think uh, whether you're a Christian or, or you follow another faith or, or maybe no organized faith at all, I think for a lot of city folks I know, we feel like working in offices and driving in, in, in traffic and dealing with, uh, you know, shopping malls, that there's something fundamentally unnatural about this kind of lifestyle, that humans aren't built for that. And that it's not our highest purpose on earth to just earn money, spend money, and, and you know, just try to keep up with the Joneses. And that we feel really satisfied when we get to dig in the dirt, when we get to smell the fresh air, when we get to be out in the sunshine and out in the rain, and we get, we get to work with the earth and the elements to produce our own food. There's something very healing about that spiritually. And so... Uh, you know, we, we'd also like to, to, to you know, to, to expand that, uh, to spend more of our more of our time, more of our effort, more of our thinking to open our hearts to to that kind of a healing. And we feel like if we could work with with farmers, work with folks who live in rural areas, um, that we can get more. Uh, we, we can live better lives. I, I don't know if I'm being articulate about that, but I think it's a it is definitely a spiritual yearning for something beyond uh, just what the city has to offer. You know, you were very articulate in expressing that, and I could not agree with you more. Um, when I go out in my garden after the years, as you said earlier, of my urban lifestyle, I am communing in a way with my God, and I even feel the spirit of my ancestors, as in my grandmother, who was a grower herself in a way that I can't ex describe to other people and I would agree it's spiritual so thank you for that eloquent expression I think America's become a bit of a rootless country a lot of people I know move from one big city to the next every three or four years to take a different job and so they don't have that connection to their their forebears as you're talking about uh, that humans have had for thousands of years you know, Wendell Berry, or, or, or I think it was Wendell Berry who talks about the home place, you know, the value of a place where your family has lived and has worked the land. And so many Americans are deprived of that today, uh, living in big cities. And I think we, even if they don't think of it that way, I think that a lot of my friends are missing that. They want a connection to the place where they are. Um, and, 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 you know, every city is surrounded by a rural area. And I think we need to start thinking about the connections between the cities and the rural areas more explicitly so that we can satisfy that human need for a connection to, to a beautiful place. Eric Curran is the co-editor of Transition Voice along with Lindsay Curran. Thank you so much for visiting with us, Eric. Your wisdom and your generosity humble us. We appreciate your time. Well, Lee and Amanda, thank you both for your interest. Thanks for talking to me, and, 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 and good, good luck to you uh, with, with all that you're doing. Thank you, Eric. We appreciate it. You've been listening to Longleaf Breeze with Lee and Amanda Borden. You can call the farm at 334-625-8682. Send email to letters at longleafbreeze.com. Our address is P.O. Box 780-446, Tallahassee, Alabama, 36078. Visit us at longleafbreeze.com to learn more about the farm, to browse our archive, and to look over our planting database. 
You can also read the daily farm log and check in with Lee and Amanda. That's longleafbreeze.com.